The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today we're talking about cleaning up the Charles River. This is the river that separates separates Puritan Boston from the Republic of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we're sitting over here on the Cambridge side of the river, looking over to the State House building and uh, the Boston skyline. No, I'm actually inside an office. I can just see some road out the window there. But um, the problem is that there's too much phosphorus, and it's causing harmful algal blooms uh, in the Charles River. And it's choking the river and fouling ponds and causing slime on freshwater shores around here. And so my guest today is the Ocean River Institute's newest intern, Elizabeth Stebbins. Liz is a student at Harvard University. Hello, Liz. Hello. <laughs> uh, hello, Rob. <laughs> uh, Liz, since you are new at this, um, we're going to turn the tables where you're going to get to interview me about cleaning up the river and reducing phosphorus pollution by responsible stewardship of lawns and more about the best river fish of all, the striped bass. So we're going to talk some fish, some river, some pollution. Uh, it should be a good show. Oh, here you go, Liz. Well, great, yeah. Okay, so, uh, Rob, why don't you tell me what was about on the front page of Monday's Boston Globe? All right. So we're going to ask my cell phone back and forth because we put it on speakerphone. It's going to sound funny. Um, so uh, David Abel had a front-line story of, front-page story on the Boston Globe on Monday, February 22nd, and that is that the federal government is uh, poised to issue sweeping regulations ordering a cleanup of the Charles River, and they plan to issue these regulations next month to take effect later in the year. Um, and so that the, uh, the Charles River, as you know, has got uh, 260 municipalities in the watershed, and the river itself is about 80 miles long from Hockington to Boston. And Boston actually is not one of the municipalities in this uh, EPA action because it's already being sued uh, to clean up its act. And the article goes on to quote Ken Morath of EPA saying, quote, if we're ever going to have a Charles that we can use and get rid of the toxic algal blooms, we really need to make this investment. So why is it so expensive to fix? Uh, because the communities along the shores, along the Charles, are being called to capture the dirty water 
and then treat it before it goes into the Charles. And so this requires building more combined sewer overflow storage areas to hold back dirty water uh, during the storms. I mean, Charles is famous for dirty water, and we want to get it not dirty before it goes into the river. So what else will communities be required to do? Uh, so they will, um, oh yeah, they're going to replace um, asphalt, the, you know, the pavement, with uh, more pervious, more porous pavement. Uh, so we see this in, around Cambridge where they will have crosswalks, and the crosswalk is raised up, you know, so it slows the driver down. And then the raised portion is usually stones or something that lets the water go through it. So we want to have less, you know, per, uh, impervious coverings and more ability for the rainwater to seep into the ground instead of flooding off into the river so quickly. Uh, they're going to call for increased street sweeping. So where I live in Somerville, every Thursday is my side of the street and every Friday is the other side of the street. They need to have the street sweeper cars, trucks go up and down to remove detritus, you know, phosphorus and, and fertilizer stuff from uh, the streets, uh, leaf litter and so forth. The third thing they're going to do is clear the catch basins more regularly. So they have these areas kind of cement line that are to catch the rainwater and let it seep into the ground more slowly, like a swale that a farmer would have to, to catch the water and put it back in the ground. And then the fourth thing is that they are to, you know, rebuild the wetlands, wherever they're, you know, encourage plants along the shore that act as sponges to grab that surface water before it goes into the Charles River. Okay, well, that seems like some pretty good information. What are exactly are harmful algal blooms? Yeah, so that is the bugaboo of the whole thing. So algae are the plants that float in the water, and they need sunlight, and they grow faster when it's warmer, and they need nutrients to grow on. And the nutrient in fresh water is phosphorus. And so it's very important that uh, we reduce the amount of phosphorus going into the Charles River, and that will reduce the amount of food available for the algae to feed on and therefore have fewer uh, algal blooms. And the algal blooms, you know, they slime up the, uh, the water, they slime up the beaches. Uh, they can be uh, harmful to swimmers if they swim into a harmful algal bloom. It, it, it has toxic elements that can uh, hurt people. Uh, and then saltwater uh is the algal blooms in salt water is caused by nitrogen, and in fresh water it's phosphorus. So, um, it, and often phosphorus and nitrogen are mixed together. So we want to reduce that stuff going into the waterways. Uh, harmful algal blooms, when they're blooming, they eat up the oxygen that's in the water. And if they don't release toxins, they do eat up the oxygen, and that makes it anoxic or not enough oxygen to support life. And uh, Joe Payne, the Casco Bay keeper, about a decade ago, was telling me that he was looking at uh, Casco Bay, watching bait fish being chased by striped bass, and they swam in to a portion of the bay right in front of him, and they just rolled up dead because they'd swum into a portion of water that had no oxygen. It was called an ocean dead zone, and that was the result of the algae eating up all the oxygen. So we've got to cut down on the phosphorus and nitrogen going into seawater. I see on the website, oceanriver.org, there's a picture of dead striped bass. 
So what exactly is up with all of that? Right. So in 2012, the uh, striped bass, uh, no, 2013, the Falmouth Enterprise uh, reported 16 striped bass found on the shore of uh, Little Pond, which is a salt pond next to Nantucket Sound. So these fish and one horseshoe crab, they were all dead on the rack there. And uh, they had, uh, the fish at least, had swum into, uh, out of Nantucket Sound, under the causeway, into the pond, and encountered a harmful algal bloom and just died and were found on the shore. And uh, luckily, one of the residents there ran the uh, Falmouth Sewage Works, and so he knew this wasn't sewage you were smelling. This was dead fish, and they found the fish. And they also noted that lawns were stretching down to Little Pond, and they believed that it was the fertilizer, which is high in nitrogen and phosphorus, that was washing off the lawns, causing that adjacent water to have blooming algae in it that killed the, the uh, striped bass and one horseshoe crab. Uh, so they passed an ordinance, a bylaw, saying don't fertilize your lawn, not just in the summertime, but uh, only fertilize it in the spring, far from the water, um, and, and don't fertilize it the next four times. So the fertilizer bags will say on them, uh, spread this stuff in the spring, 4th of July weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, and in the fall. And so people who care about the quality of their grass are out there spreading the fertilizer, high nitrogen and phosphorus, five times a year. And in uh, Falmouth, they said, whoa, for the love of striped bass, only do it once in the spring when the grass is hungriest. And when the water's colder, so it won't bloom so much, uh, the daylight is shorter, so it won't bloom so much on the nitrogen coming in there. And the industry... The fertilizer industry, they weren't too pleased with having, you know, um, 80% of their fertilizer sales just wiped off of the town of City of Falmouth there. So they, uh, in August, after the July fish kill, uh, pushed through a, a state law that prohibited municipalities to, from differing from the state law, uh, the state lawn care guidance lines, which were due at five times a year. So we... Uh, had a letter-writing campaign to the Attorney General, the Municipal Law Unit, and yet in May of 2014, they had to decide that the fertilizer industry's state law trumps Falmouth's right to regulate their own law care. Can you believe that? No. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, that's pretty terrible, yeah. <laughs> and so the uh, town, um, fortunately for the town, their state representative was um, Therese Murray, who was the Senate uh, president. And so she was able to uh, put into a, the budget, the state budget, an exemption for Little Falmouth to fertilize once a year instead of five times a year. And uh, that way they got exempted. And uh, I subsequently published an article in the Cape Cod Times that explained to all the communities, look, you know, we can have green grass and healthier, cleaner waters and less fish kills by following, volunteering to follow Cape Cod's, or uh, Balmas' lead there of just doing it once a year, not 
five times. So you end up saving money, saving time, saving energy. And if your next door neighbor goes ahead and in the middle of summer gets out there and, and fertilizes his lawn, he's going to sit back with his beer at the end of the day and for the next three weeks see that his lawn is no greener than his neighbor's. So I think that this is a, a, a sensible thing to do. Uh, so congratulations for uh, Senator Murray to, uh, for exempting Falmouth for doing that. Uh, and so now, here we are. Uh, yeah, so, so now here we are, ten year, uh, some years since Falmouth stopped fertilizing, you know, two years. And for two years, the uh, grass is just as green in Falmouth as it is in um, the rest of the state and chasing towns. And so this is a campaign that we're going to start today um, to urge the governor to um, call for regulations of, um, of fertilizing just once a year. Let's, let's save, our, save, our, uh, save money, and we can save the Charles River and the Neponset and the Weymouth and the Weir and the Boston Harbor as well with an 80% reduction in phosphorus pollution coming off of lawns. So we can take that summer holiday from lawn fertilizing, and by fertilizing only at the beginning of the spring with the right amount of the right stuff with sufficient distance from the water, we can enjoy green lawns, healthier rivers, cleaner beaches, fewer ocean dead zones, and no more fish kills. Yes, and now we go on to that. Yeah. Well, so great. So, I mean, this is going to protect all types of marine and freshwater life, but can you tell me a little bit more about the striped bass, just the fish? Yes, yes. Yeah, we want to have charismatic megafauna that makes it all worthwhile. You know, it's hard to get people interested in just, you know, and treating your lawn differently in order to have cleaner water down by the river or something. But when you start killing striped bass, Dems are fighting words, and striped bass is America's, is New England's, Second biggest fish. The biggest fish is the cod, and second comes striped bass. And in 1638, we passed our first Fisheries Management Act, which was the, the Puritans, or the Pilgrims, rather, in Plymouth, noticed that um, they were worried about the survival of striped bass and cod, and so they, they passed a law saying, you can't use those two fish for fertilizing. So the striped bass... Is, um, is born in, in estuaries, and the ones around here come from Chesapeake Bay, and they're fast-swimming fish with a stripe down the side, and they uh, come up the coastline, so they're only here in the summertime, and then they, um, they race around chasing bait fish or fast-swimming fish and um, return to warmer waters in the wintertime. So if you have striped bass, there's an excellent fisheries. There's a commercial fisheries and a, um, a small commercial fishery and recreational fishery. And it's very well managed. There's plenty of, I mean, they, they are very careful to regulate the striped bass. You know, most recreational fishermen catch and release the striped bass. The uh, commercial fishermen are carefully regulated by you know, the Fisheries Council not to take too many, so we always have them. Now, the uh, Ocean River Institute uh, is encouraging the fisheries managers to take an ecosystem-based approach to managing the fish stocks. The fish stock approach is you manage it stock, you know, population by population, and you manage it so that you take the maximum amount, leaving enough just to reproduce. 
And an ecosystem-based approach says, well, wait a second. Besides reproducing, some of these fish, like, um, some of these fish need smaller fish to eat. So some of these smaller fish, like herring, are forage for the striped bass, for example. So we need to consider that when take an ecosystem-based approach when setting the catch limits for uh, fish lower down the trophic levels, like the herring, shad, mackerel, uh, these fish that are being eaten by bigger fish. The striped bass fishermen and fishermen as a whole were really upset that the striped bass coming out of uh, Chesapeake Bay were emaciated. They weren't getting enough to eat. And we think it's because they were catching too much menhaden, which is a small fish like the herring, and too much uh, herring as well. And uh, meanwhile, the Fisheries Council said for um, three years that they were planning on issuing new herring numbers that would take into account the striped bass's need to eat fish. And then they didn't. They just punted and said, ah, forget it. We'll just do it the old way. And so uh, Ocean River Institute, along with a commercial uh, boat operator and a recreational fisherman, sued the U.S. government to have the Fisheries Council take an ecosystem-based approach to herring. And we won. The judge said, guys, you said you're going to manage with an ecosystem-based approach, consider the forage fish, you got to go do that. And so now they're back trying to do that. And unfortunately, the, uh, the judge wouldn't put in benchmarks saying, you're going to take this long to get there? Okay, we expect you there in that much time. Um, so there's a little bit of fear that they're going to drag their feet and the clock will run out. But it looks like they're really trying to take a better approach to it. Well, that's great. Um, so, I mean, what else can people do to clean up the Charles River? Well, that's a great question. And um, we're going to, uh, before I answer that, uh, we're going to take a short break and um, have some um, advertisements about our program and other programs, and then we'll come back and address that question after this break. Great. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. All together now, all together now. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back, and with me today is Elizabeth Stebbins. Hello. Hello, Liz. Hello. Um, Liz, uh, you just, this is like your second week. Yeah. Yeah, I think we started about last week, really. Yeah. Getting into everything. So what's your job here? So I'm an intern <laughs> here. I guess I could kind of give a little background. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a student at Harvard University, and I'm a biology major, but my interests are kind of in marine biology and kind of policy and the intersection between both of those. So when I got the job being an intern here, it was just kind of like a perfect match. So I'm actually, I'm really excited to, I mean, do these radio things and just get started on making some changes, hopefully. It's really convenient for you. We're right here at Harvard Square. Yeah. As you were climbing the stairs to our third floor, you were ascending through Virgin Island uh, fish and marine life. Yeah. So you kind of felt right at home here. Yeah. It's perfect, and all these books on the walls are books that I read for my classes. So right, because you're taking a fish. You're taking yeah, biology of fishes. Biology of fishes. Yeah. And so you got Kerensky's cod book right up front there. Yeah, which I'm really excited to get to start reading. I haven't started it yet, but that one, and then um, the book on Menhaden, mm. like the most important fish in the world, or something. Yep. It's a good oily fish. Yeah. <laughs> that you don't eat, so we don't hear much about it. You won't find it in stores and stuff. But yeah, but it's really big industrially, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's used for um, fertilizer. It's used for uh, maybe for animal feed, mm-hmm. um, but it's not used for human consumption. That's really interesting. Yeah, and you'll know more when you read the book. And yeah, we'll come back. We can do a show with Liz. Tells us about menhaden. About menhaden in the industry. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's really a whole other thing. Uh, so we're I'm really fortunate that you and Nadia. 
Yeah. Are both starting up this week or, or that's tied together. Yeah. And Nadia just had a class conflict, which is why she's not on the radio with us right now. Yeah. Because during the broadcast time, she's, she's elsewhere. Nadia came in this morning and was helping me put together thank you letters for all these people that helped the program. So oh, our fiscal year ended January 30th, and so I was able to um, you wait to the end of the year and get all the all the data, and then you can send out year-end letters for all the people that supported. And so we were making sure, you know, making sure the numbers match the name. Yeah. I want to get that straight and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, it's been really reassuring how many people step up and support the Ocean River Institute. Yeah. Hey, any of you guys listening, if you want to support us, uh, it's <laughs> www.oceanriver.org. Um, and that's uh, our homepage. And then you'll see at the top, you know, support, or you can learn more about us. Uh, check us out. Uh, you'll also see on our homepage six different causes to choose from. And one of those causes is going to have a picture of 16 striped bass dead on shore in Falmouth. And that's the one that, if you like this show, it would mean a lot to me and Liz if you would click on that one yeah. and, and go through to um, sign our petition. Um, Liz, um, I, I gave you the, an, older, an old draft of a letter that we had done before, and you took it home, and, and I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing how that's going to come together and stuff. Yeah, hopefully kind of fixing some of those things yeah. in order to reflect that the new, the new EPA regulations. Right, the new call for the Charles River to clean up their act and have less phosphorus pollution. Um, yeah, so there's the petition. I mean, is there, what else can people do to clean up the Charles River? Good question. Yeah. So there's the fertilization. Yeah, well, the, the first thing is that um, people talk about uh, plastic pollution and, and things like that are in the river. So if you're by the river and you see... Um, trash, garbage, pollution on the shore, move it away from the river. Because a lot of stuff washes up and then washes back again. So rather than get out there in boats and skim stuff up and stuff, um, and for some rivers we've got some pretty nasty um, water chestnuts that are all pointy and stuff. You don't want to get your hands into that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, just, it's just having a mindset that everything washes down to the water. And, uh, and these actions we're talking about today apply for watersheds around the country, you know. It all flows yeah. downhill into rivers and stuff. So we don't want excess um, stuff getting in, leaving your property, for example. So the, the simplicity of just fertilizing your lawn once a year instead of five times a year is simple. Rather than trying to separate the phosphorus if you're in the freshwater environment, nitrogen if you're in a salt chest, Keep it simple. Yeah. You know, try not to do that. Uh, and then keep your eyes out for uh, uh, things that uh, shouldn't be draining into the river and, and let the uh, state or the city regulatory people know about that. And, and they'll follow up and see if it's something they know about or if they haven't found out about it. Yeah. Good question. Um, but the big thing is we want to follow up on this um, Boston Globe story of the EPA uh, because here we have a solution. Like, yeah. You can save money, you know, only by... Because people are fertilizing their lawns are basically paying to pollute. Yeah. Another source of the uh, nitrogen and phosphorus, mostly nitrogen, is sewage and septic and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, that stuff is innately mostly nitrogen. So you've got to figure out some way to put it, if not in, in the waterway. And that's difficult. But fertilizer, you're going out and spending money for it. And, yeah. you know... 
Whereas the on unnecessary fertilizer, right? Yeah, you might as well just shake it into the river because yeah. it's not going to be picked up by the grass. Yeah. Once the grass is uh, oversaturated. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's all happy to go, um, it, it you know, on Cape Cod they asked me to show the nitrogen um, coming off of the lawns, and Cape Cod it's all sand. So when they spread on the lawn, the rainwater pushes it right through the turf and it goes into the sand into the brown table down below. Yeah. And they can't tell if the nitrogen, it's very hard to tell if the nitrogen is from fertilizer or from septic. So, um, so that's a problem. Uh, Matt Charette is a Woods Hole scientist, and he's uh, looking at Wakoit Bay. And uh, there are two creeks that come down from the north into Wakoit Bay on the edge of Nantucket Sound there. And Wakoit Bay has, um, so he's uh, calibrated it, so it's, it's blue in the middle of a quite bay where the least nitrogen is. Yeah. And then going up the creeks is bright red. Oh, and, wow. And what's interesting, yeah, that's the way it calibrates. Yeah, yeah. The highest amounts are seeping out of the ground up in the creeks and then yeah. coming down. <laughs> and, or washing off. I don't know how it's in the creeks, but it's in the creeks. And um, he, uh, so what was interesting was I said, look, these are equally red. And, and because one creek is residential, so presumably sewage and septic, and the other creek was agriculture, so it has to be like fertilizer mostly. Yeah. And uh, and yet both are equally red. Uh, nitrogen, right. Yeah. So um, my point, and, and this is how the Ocean River Institute has been working with the Cape Cod Commission, is that the Cape Cod Commission is doing a lot to try to address the septic and sewage nitrogen input problem, and it's huge. Mm -hmm. But if they fix that, we're still going to have another red creek from agriculture and fertilizer. Yeah. Yes, they're working with agriculture, but no, it's much harder, much easier to count toilets and bathrooms than square feet of lawn being fertilized or agricultural land. Uh, so we need to do both, and kudos for the commission for what they're doing yeah. with septic and sewage. But um, we're, we're taking the, you know, it's a smaller piece of the pie, but it's such an easy one of giving people a holiday. They don't have to spread fertilizer on the hottest days of the year. They can just do it in the cool spring in the, in the beginning of the year. And, yeah. And, uh, um, so it's a win-win. It's a win-win. What we're going to do is we're asking people to sign the letter you wrote mm -hmm. uh, to Governor, uh, Governor Baker, uh, the Massachusetts governor, um, to please adjust the state regulations so that if people are going to be told the grass, right now they're told you've got to do it five times a year or the industry science indicates that your lawn won't stay green. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little secret about lawn care. If your lawn is, is hungry, feed it. And if it's not hungry, you don't have to feed it. Yeah. Uh, we get nitrogen coming out of the air. We get nitrogen and phosphorus coming out of the exhaust. Um, there are other sources besides fertilizer going to your lawn. And um, if you clip, you know, leave the clippings on the lawn, that helps to feed the lawn as well. But I'm not going to tell people don't ever fertilize because people really care about their investment. And yeah. So I'm not asking them to give up their lawns or fertilizing or, um, you know, we can have green or green grass. We can have green grass. You can have all these lawns you want. Uh, but you can also save money and not have to do it. Uh, five times a year, just once a year. Yeah. 
How cool is that? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, so when it goes through, what, it, what exactly would Governor Baker be doing? So Governor Baker would be, right now, the state regulation is... Five times. Five times. Yeah. And so he needs to work with agriculture or whoever it is that sets up the regs mm-hmm. to, to say lower the it. recommended regs is, is once a year. If you want to do it more, that's your business. But unless um, it's in Falmouth, which passed laws to protect it. But all 360 communities of Massachusetts deserve clean water as much as Falmouth does. Yeah. And, you know, it all, all the rivers and everything tie together. So, yeah, the Housatanic flows into Connecticut and, the, you know, Definitely doesn't mind having some cleaner water either, so it's yeah. okay if we clean it up here in Massachusetts. <laughs> and hopefully, um, this the Massachusetts example will go upriver, up the Merrimack, and up to Connecticut into New Hampshire and, and Vermont, so that yeah. they will uh, treat their lawns better, uh, understanding that all water ends up in the ocean where you've got these striped bass coming up the rivers. And stuff. Yeah. So we want to have a complete picture there. So. The Ocean River Institute is unique in that we reach out to people and get multiple answers to problems because we listen locally. Yeah. And we don't just give the governor, in this case, the decision maker in general, an elevator speak. Yes. Which has got, you know, perfect tune. It's got all the problems. It's all right there. It's perfect, you know. Yeah. The guy doesn't understand it. You have to have a translator to put it. There. No, we don't need that. Yeah. Instead, we need many people expressing from their perspective what's good about this and, and why it's not a convenient inconvenience for them or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's too brittle just to have one answer. And yeah. decision makers need... They want to know what their constituents want. What their constituents yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so that's cool. So when people write to the, the petition, has a place to sign your name. Yeah. And then it has a, a box you can write something. You can write a paragraph. Yeah. And the comments are really important. They're really important. And when people comment, it all comes back to you and me and, and Nadia, and we'll make sure people sound good before we send it to the decision maker, the governor in this case. Yeah. A lot of programs are geared so that quickly you've got to tell your legislator right now before he makes a decision. And so the, your message doesn't go back to the organization. It goes right to the legislator. Yeah. So all the legislators get to the number count of how many people signed the letter and um, they don't even read the comments because half the comments are not worth reading or insulting or something or yeah. promoting something. So they really cherish our Ocean River Institute letters because... Because we read them. We, yeah, we print them out on paper. So we deliver to the governor's office a paper copy of the cover letter with every single comment and signer organized by town and then state. And you're welcome to write from out of Massachusetts. Yeah, because this isn't just like a local thing. I mean, well, it's local on multiple different levels, but it's not confined only to Massachusetts or the Charles River, right? That's exactly right. Harmful algal blooms are a national problem. Yeah. And we want to have uh, a national, we want people to make the connection that what they do to their lawn hurts things in waterways. Yeah. That's not an obvious connection, so we yeah. have to spell it out. You know, what you do on in your property, that's your business, except... When it flows out, you know, across your border or into the groundwater table, then yeah. it becomes everyone's tragedy of the commons, you know, where we're yeah. causing problems. So algae blooms, uh, nitrogen is the worst pollution of oceans. 
is nitrogen because it causes algae to bloom, and some of the algae are toxic. So yeah. we've been working um, for uh, four or five years. Five years. We've been working for five years on Indian River Lagoon next to the Atlantic Ocean in Florida, down there around Fort Aud- north of Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. It is um 156-mile lagoon, and it um, is shallow, like Nantucket Sound, and so the algae blooms in there. And in 2011, we, uh, Martin County was the first county to not fertilize June 1st, September 30th, and also uh, respect the setbacks and use a low, slow-release nitrogen fertilizer. So the months are important because that's when the rainy season is, right? It happened to be the rainy season yeah. in Florida, so it's being washed off. Okay. The months are important because that's the sunniest season. Oh, They yeah. like the longest, and so the plants are growing the most. Okay. If you, yeah, and, and also the water's the warmest, and the yeah. plants grow faster. So I'm looking at it from the ocean point of view. The grass likes it in the spring, um, and then oddly enough, grass stops growing height about June 21st, about the longest day of the year, the grass stops growing up, and then there's a chemical revert, uh, switch and starts thickening. So cattle grazers will know this, and they'll move their cows to where the tender grass is versus the thicker grass for yeah. the adolescent guys and stuff. Yeah. So um, it's a different process in the grass, at least in the northern grasses, um, that's been down there. So it's important to um, to fertilize. Yeah. Our, our big... Yeah, because we don't want algae blooms, so yeah. don't fertilize. And you know, if you have to do it again in the fall, fine. Just don't do it. So, so Martin County did it in 2011. It took us four years because there was a lot of battling with the industry and everything yeah. to get that five, all five counties, Martin County North, which is most of the area we do. And now I'm back in Palm Beach County, which touches on um, in Jupiter on the Indian Lagoon, so it's important for the lagoon. But it's also the wealthiest oh, of all yeah. the counties. And so they are the most in love with their lawns over anything else. So it makes sense that they're being prudent and not rushing to challenge their lawns with only three times a year instead of four times a year. Yeah. Uh, but um, now the grass in Martin County is just as green as in uh, Palm Beach. Yeah. And they're, and they're spending less. Yeah three-quarters of what Palm Beach is doing. So uh, that, I hope, is enough reason for So I'll be back at the Gumbo Limbo Nature Center talking about, uh, you know, saving in the River Lagoon from harmful algal blooms. So we're, once again, we need to take a little break, and we'll be back. Um, Elizabeth Stebbins is my guest, and we're talking about stopping harmful algal blooms by reducing phosphorus and nitrogen, which is coming off of lawns unnecessarily. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, we're back with Elizabeth Stebbins, our, our newest um, Ocean River intern Hello. at Harvard College. Um, and um, we want to talk about, you know, we're launching this campaign mm-hmm. to um, urge people to uh, write, to sign our letter and tell Governor Patrick of Massachusetts why it's important that people only fertilize their lawns once a year, not five times. Here in the Northeast, down in Florida, they do it seasonally four times. Um, and, but here in the, in the northern parts of the United States, um, you know, one should be enough. And because the bottom line is, if your grass is hungry, you should feed it. And if not, you probably don't have to do it. But yeah. you're writing regs, you might as well encourage them to do it once a year. Um, but then be careful not to let it get off your lawn. So we're going to have these petitions that go out. I mean, the petitions are out there. Oh, hey, so, guys, 
www.oceanriver.org. That's our website. And when you go to our website, you'll see a picture of causes, six causes. The one with a dead striped bass on it, lying on the sea rack there. Uh, click on that, and it'll bring you to the page about that, and it'll bring you to the petition letter that uh, Liz wrote. And, um, and please sign on and, and take a minute to um, tell us about you know, why you care about cleaner rivers and waterways and, and, uh, and no more harmful algal blooms. Uh, and then we'll get your comments and we'll organize them. We'll make sure if you, you, do, you sound really terrible, this might write back and say, what about this or something? <laughs> uh, and then we have a new program that I'm just learning about called Classy.org. And Classy.org is um, peer-to-peer. So Liz or Nadia... I think we're going to do it regionally by town or by district or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they will, will send you a, a classy kind of invitation. I think it will come from Ocean River. No, it comes from classy. Mm-hmm. So any names you say, it, so it's set up so that you can reach out in classy to your Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. And then because classy is a third party, there's no way Ocean River can get the names of your people you're talking to or anything other than if they join your page, Liz can join in the conversation with those people by first name. Yeah. But this is not a way of mining new members or people to ask for money. It's a way to build... Um, Just a network. Network. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing more meaningful than uh, a group of friends writing to a decision maker. Yeah. You know, especially the state legislators. Um, you know, I love Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant. You know, he says there that, you know, Words to the effect that, well, one person does it, it's just a kook, you know, they think it's a kook. And if it's two people, well, it must be probably a couple with different last names, you know. Yeah. But if it's three people, ah, that's a little weird. And if it's four people or five people, it's a movement, you know, because um, the, the decision maker doesn't know, assumes that those people are part of school communities, church communities, sports communities that they are just tips of a local kind of movement, a local group of people. And so if if three or four people bother to care together about something, that really gets the decision makers sitting up and listening. Yeah. And so uh, Liz and Nadia are going to be using this uh, causes, not called causes, classy, classy, classy Mm classy.org, a program to build little micro groups like that. And uh, then you can invite your friends to join your group, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Liz may be there or not, and and uh, and you can just do it without her too. And yeah. that way, um, we get communications going. Yeah. And uh, you know, we have other campaigns. It's just this is what happened this week, and so I've been walking around with this picture of striped bass in my head for three years, and finally it's like, yeah, I can get some visibility on it. Yeah. Um, and but there are there will be other things and. Your um, classy group can easily shift to um, other programs. Yeah, and it's great because social networking just creates this whole platform for people to connect on different issues, and this is just one way that we can hopefully just another way for us to connect on these important things. It's very promising because people who want to do email, which are minority, yeah. can do classy on email, and the same classy will be visible for people's Facebook, so that it works seamlessly between these different media. Yeah. Um, helping to bridge that gap. And um, uh, when uh, I was putting out the job application uh, for um, the internships was just after um, 
the Paris Accord on Climate Change. Yep. And um, I was thinking, you know, Ocean River Institute is unique. We have over 40,000 people are subscribing to our e-alerts. If you want to subscribe to our e-alerts, oceanriver.org, and then up in the upper right it says subscribe, and you go up there and you put down where you want your emails e-alert sent to, and then at the bottom of each e-alert is an unsubscribe function. So if you get tired of hearing from us, you know, I won't take it personally, but you can always, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, over 40,000 people get that, and about 10%, maybe 4,000 will sign a letter. Then uh, another uh, 4% or another, you know, so if, if 4,000 sign it, maybe 400 will take time to write comments. So if you guys would write a comment, that's really cool. Yeah. But um, what I was saying was that the uh, after Paris, so the biggest obstacle to moving forward with climate change actions in America is this entity known as the House of Representatives yeah. in Washington. Yep. And by golly, the Ocean River Institute is knows a lot of those Republican and Democratic congressmen because we're in there asking them to clean oceans and we're bringing to them what their constituents have to say about it. So I yeah. always get meetings with the legislators um, or with their staffers and you always want to make the staff look good because that gets everything going. So, uh, so we're thinking of um, having an after-Paris program where um, we are looking for people in every congressional district across the country. So if there's 435 districts, about a little more than half of them are Republican districts, and that's particularly where we need something, where those local people would um, have ideas of what is the climate change-related issue for that community. Mm -hmm. You know, in Nebraska, it's not going to be sea level rise. Yeah. I guarantee you that. <laughs> you know, so uh, one woman wrote back from the Oregon coast. She's a sailor on the coast, and she's really upset that uh, the pipeline is going to end in her community on the coast. Yeah. And so I wrote back and said, yeah, building pipelines is definitely not climate change. It's a definite thing that we don't want to have happen yeah. to encourage, you know, carbon release. The last thing you need is more pipelines bringing exactly. that carbon fuel around. So that could be the issue that she's looking for people to write with her on. And, um, and we're happy to help all the communities along pipelines write their legislators uh, Please not do that. And, and Nadia and I and, and you, Liz, yeah. will work with um, those kind of focus groups by district yeah. on their issues so that we're not going to set you up by saying, you know, close all the banks because that's not going to be easy to do. Yeah. But we'll work with you on ways to find – because often you start communicating with a legislator and they'll tell you what the obstacle is mm -hmm. for passing um, legislation. So we spent six years – putting through a harmful algal bloom bill through Congress and signed into law by the president. The first two years, the House approved it, but not the Senate. Second two years, the Senate approved it, but not the House. Oh Third two years, Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe goes for a swim in a lake in Oklahoma. Guess what he swims into? Harmful algal bloom. Harmful algae. He goes, yuck, you know. Yeah. So he said, I hate environmental legislation. Bring me this bill. Yeah. And we brought him the bill, and he said, reduce the budget by 10% and change these three words, and Republicans will support it. Wow. 
And then Harry Reid said, I'm from Nevada. I don't like eating seafood. I've got a sensitive stomach. Why should I waste my capital on this bill? Yeah. So rather than explain the science to him louder, yeah. more clearly, we um, heard his problem is that he doesn't care about seafood. And that's bottom line is Americans like seafood. And if we want to have healthy seafood, we need clean oceans in order to ensure that we have clean seafood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also knowing that when we ever get to the beach, it'll be clean. That's a good thing to have. Yeah. So uh, Ocean Champions found that um, a potential son-in-law of Speaker Reed is a chef and can make a seafood dinner for Speaker Reed. Mm. Speaker Reed likes seafood dinner. <laughs> Speaker Reed teed up the, the, the Harvago Bloom Bill, which then President Obama could sign into law. Wow. So it's very important to talk with the legislator about what the issue is yeah. And instead of sending a more articulate scientist to explain the problem or turn up the megaphone, yeah. find out what the issue is, because usually there's a way to, to find common ground. Yeah, instead of just kind of repeating the same thing, which can be kind of vague or seem not really immediate or approachable to a person, you kind of can find ways that it affects things that are very real and central right. in their life. Right. So if you're upset about a pipeline going through your yeah. community, your legislator's been told, we got to build a pipeline or else the price of fuel will go up again, the price of fuel will go up and stuff. But rather than argue about the economics, yeah. if you can say, look, it's going right next to this school ground. The quality of life. You know, yeah. you know, this could threaten kids in your community. If you want to be responsible for that, then the legislator will start working with you. Yeah. Maybe they can try to reroute it, and then they'll find that his neighbors aren't too happy about it either or something. But rather than, you know, just black or white. Yeah. It's just, and so that's what we're really good about doing. And so, you know, Liz is going to be good about it and, and Nadia, Nadia, and uh, we'll work with uh, constituents on yeah. that. So we've managed to use up another hour of Warriors <laughs> Environmental Dialogue. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So um, all you listeners, please visit OceanRiver.org. And check out our campaigns. Mm-hmm. Right now, the hot one is uh, save the striped bass and uh, stop uh, over-fertilizing lawns and let's save the Charles River. And wherever your river is, it'll help by reducing that. So please yeah. um, click on the uh, striped bass page there. You'll see the bass on the home page. Yeah. Uh, sign up for your e-alerts and, um, and keep, this, keep tuning into this radio program. Hey, you could spread this program out. So we will, you could share this with friends. What we'll do is um, we post it on our website, www.oceanriver.org, and you can uh, copy that link and put it in uh, Facebook or put it wherever, and then anytime somebody can tune in and hear Liz Stebbins and me talk about, you know, yeah. dirty water and, and happy striped bass. Yeah, and good lawns. And clean lawns. <laughs> Green lawns, right, right. So, um, yeah, yeah, it really makes a difference. These little steps and speaking out about your own concerns is uh, makes a big difference to decision makers. So thank you for listening. And, oh, thank you, Liz, for yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> coming to work at the Ocean River Institute. Yeah, thanks. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see it. We'll talk with you next week. Uh, and until then... Uh, please uh, work for healthy oceans and cleaner rivers and cleaner water. 
Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.